Hello and welcome back to Pan Am, a podcast about Paris, the people who've lived here and the traces they've left behind. So today, come with me as we follow in the footsteps of one of France's most loved Enlightenment writers, Voltaire. Although I've actually found out during my research that Voltaire is his pen name, which he made up while imprisoned for the first time at the Bastille. His real name was François-Marie Arouet. I like Voltaire better. But where Voltaire came from, he never revealed. It's possible that it's an anagram of Arouet L. J for le jeune or the young at a time when the U's and the V's and the J's and the I's were interchangeable for some reason as if French is not confusing enough. In today's episode we're going to be looking at his life and his love. Now while we can quite literally find traces of Voltaire all over the city as we shall get into in the next episode let's begin by heading to the fifth arrondissement and to the very prestigious school Louis Le Grand, where Voltaire started his life or at least his education and which stands in the shadow of the pantheon where Voltaire is buried. Louis Le Grand is really one of the oldest and most reputable schools in France. Notable alumni are really too many to mention but here a few anyway. They include revolutionaries such as Robespierre and Desmoulins, writers like Molière, the Marquis de Sade, Victor Hugo and Charles Baudelaire. Philosophers include Diderot, Jean-Paul Sartre and Jacques Derrida. There were artists like Eugène Delacroix, Edgar Degas and Georges Méliès. Seven French presidents and six prime ministers have also been here, not to mention eight Nobel laureates. Not bad, really. Needless to say, today it is not an easy school to get into. And it is a lycée, so it's for older children. But when Volta went there, he started at the age of 10. In Nancy Mitzford's book, which I'll be referring to as it's really great, Voltaire in Love, she describes Voltaire as, quote, Having every qualification except that of birth. His appearance was delightful, a droll, impertinent, inquisitive look, dancing black eyes, a turned-up nose, elegant little figure, beautifully dressed, nothing out of place. He was like a creature spun of glass. His conversation matched his looks, droll, impertinent, inquisitive, dancing, elegant and brittle. He was the greatest amuser of his age. End quote. And by all accounts, Voltaire was a great amuser. He made for a super dinner guest, keeping everyone laughing, and was fun to be around and generally considered to be one of the most interesting people in Paris. He was also a versatile and prolific writer. He produced works in almost every literary form, including plays, poems, novels, essays, histories and scientific expositions. He wrote more than 20,000 letters and 2,000 books and pamphlets. Voltaire was also not adverse to playing the system. He actually won the lottery by exploiting a loophole whereby he bought all the tickets and without going into too many details, you could buy all the tickets for a region and then sort of win the jackpot. So it really worked out for him. And he did. He won all this prize money and he was actually quite good with money. Generally, he was quite shrewd. He had his fingers in many pies. And although he was generous, he apparently would keep note of what people owed him and be sure to bill them for it. He was once criticised by Frederick II, the King of Prussia, because apparently, while he was staying with him, he would often find a ruse to speak to the king late at night in order to borrow a candle to light his way back to bed and was always made sure that he took the biggest candle he could find. And this way he accumulated absolutely loads of candles, which by all means he needed because he was quite the night owl and would often work the whole night through. 
This said, Frederick was apparently quite miserly. Well, at least I've seen that written, but he did always seem very generous to Voltaire. The two had quite a complex relationship. They first met, so to speak, when Frederick was not yet the king. Frederick's father, the great Frederick I of Prussia, was by all accounts a horrid bully and didn't approve of his son's intellectual and artistic pursuits and any, what he considered, unmanly behaviour. And by that, I mean his interest in anything that wasn't war. As a child, Frederick was beaten for falling off his horse and even for wearing gloves in winter. So I'm pretty sure that Frederick did not come out to his father. Frederick made contact with Voltaire first by letter. He would write these flattering epistles praising Voltaire's work and intellect and needless to say, Voltaire was flattered and enjoyed receiving these, hearing how great he was and he quite liked the cachet of having a friendship with a future king. They wrote to each other for years and it wasn't until Frederick came to power and his awful father was dead and buried that Voltaire went to Prussia and stayed with him and he did this a number of times. It all went well until it didn't, and it ended rather badly with a confusing and humiliating incident, well, for Voltaire at least. He was returning to France in his carriage when it was stopped by the King of Prussia's men who demanded that Voltaire return a book he had apparently borrowed. Now, I'm not sure what the book was or whether it was a very expensive or valuable book or whether the king was just flexing his muscles and showing him who was boss. Well, after this, the two never saw each other again. Voltaire was also really known for his outspoken thoughts on civil liberties and his criticism of the Catholic Church, which was a pretty brave thing to do at the time. And it meant that he was in constant risk from the strict censorship laws of the Catholic French monarchy. His polemics witheringly satirised intolerance, religious dogma and the French institutions of his day. And he advocated freedom of speech, freedom of religion and the separation of church and state. He could not resist putting the cat amongst the pigeons, which he seemed to do with absolute glee, despite the fact that he was often keen to be liked by the movers and shakers of the French court, especially the king, Louis XV. Nonetheless, his outspoken writings were constantly getting him into hot water and he had to flee Paris, usually to the country house of an obliging noble, but sometimes he had to go further afield. One particular instance was the result of a heated argument that he had with the seemingly annoying Chevalier de Rouen Chabot. This resulted in Voltaire once again being sent to the Bastille. Now, although the Bastille was not that bad, especially if you were wealthy or important, you know, you could bring in your own furniture, you would have nice food, you were hardly locked up, you could even bring in your staff. Voltaire didn't like being cooped up at all, and so he asked to be sent to England instead. Now, clearly, the French thought that spending time in England was a punishment on par with the notorious prison, and so off he went. While he was there, he was impressed by how the monarchy was so radically different from that in France. And he was also interested by the English's approach to freedom of religion and speech. He was also taken by philosophers and writers who were popular in England, such as Newton and Shakespeare. And he met a litany of important literary types while he was there, including Alexander Pope, John Gray and Jonathan Swift, amongst others. But he left England complaining that the food was uneatable and the weather was killing him. 
and although he never returned to England, he would go on to take delight in extolling the virtues of the English to the horror of the French. He wrote in his Lettres Philosophiques that everything English was true and orderly, while everything French was rotten with frivolity and reaction. He praised the English from their monarchy, clergy, democracy, medicine, philosophy and theatre, and derided the French. Now, if you know anything about the relationship between the French and the English, then you will know that this was quite unacceptable. To quote Nancy Mitford, she says, quote, To say the French were displeased would be to put it mildly. The whole reading public was in a rage. How dare Voltaire set the barbarous English heretics and regicides above the civilised French? Needless to say, following this publication, not only was his work publicly burnt, but he had to beat a retreat and get out of Paris once again. It was while he was waiting for the heat to cool in Paris that he met the person that would be the love of his life, and a person who, in her own right, is incredibly interesting, the Marquise Emily du Châtelet, described as... Elegance for a woman demands undivided attention. Emily was an intellectual. She had not endless hours to waste with hairdressers and dressmakers, leaving us to presume that she was rather more interested in the pursuits of the mind than dressing herself up, although she is famous for having worn diamonds all the time. She certainly was fantastically educated and intellectual, excelling in science and maths. And while you can find her described by some as beautiful with big soft eyes and having a noble, witty and piquant expression, others, such as Madame du Défant, clearly not her biggest fan, calls her thin, dry and flat-chested with huge arms and legs, huge feet, tiny head, tiny little sea-green eyes, bad teeth, black hair and a weather-beaten complexion, vain, overdressed and untidy. I'm sure the truth must be somewhere in the middle. Voltaire, for his part, described her as, quote, that lady whom I look upon as a great man. She understands Newton, she despises superstition and, in short, she makes me happy. And the two of them, it did seem, did live very happily in Emily's chateau, where they accumulated a huge library of over 20,000 books, worked constantly, kept unusual hours, ate well, put on plays in a custom-built theatre which still exists to this day and which they roped anyone who lived in the vicinity to perform in, and even managed to persuade Emily's husband that it was all for the best. The Marquis de Châtelet was a rather subdued, maybe dull type, often off at war or doing business, and by and large seemed to have accepted Voltaire into his home and into their life. By the end of their relationship, Emily would joke that she had two husbands. However, although Emily and Voltaire were devoted to each other and got along, on the whole, very well, matched in temperament and intellect, their relationship became one of platonic friendship. Emily, unsatisfied, met and fell in love with someone else. Unfortunately, this relationship would result in Emily becoming pregnant, and she sadly died shortly after giving birth at the age of 44, as did her daughter, only a few days later. After 15 years of being together, Voltaire was devastated. He wrote of her death, I have not lost a mistress, I have lost half of myself, a soul for whom mine was made, a friend of 20 years whom I had seen born. Emily's final project had been a translation of Newton from Latin into French, which Voltaire would help publish after her death, and it is still read today. Emily, however, was not the only one to take a lover. 
Although more acceptable at the time, Voltaire had formed a rather uncomfortable, by modern standards, relationship with his niece, Marie-Louise, the daughter of his sister. She too was married and was by no means faithful to either her husband or Voltaire. But by the end of his life, although they started as lovers, they seemed to have become more friends and she was a helper looking after him in his old age in his chateau where they lived together in Ferney, which is on the border with Switzerland and you can still visit it today. Voltaire died at the age of 83, which was an astonishment to everyone because he was a notorious hypochondriac and was always telling people he was at death's door and then, of course, he outlived them all. He died not in his quiet chateau in Ferney, but in Paris, at his friend's house, the Marquise de Villette, in his Hôtel Particulier, which is still there to this day and is on what is now called the Quai Voltaire. He had not been back to Paris for nearly 28 years, but he decided to return to see a production of his latest play, Irene, which was being performed at the Comédie Française. He arrived in Paris in February. The cold and the long journey were taxing for the old man, and he fell ill, but recuperated somewhat, enough to see Irene being received with acclaim. But perhaps it was just too much for him, because just a few months later, on the 30th of May, 1778, he died. The accounts of his deathbed have been numerous and varying, and it's not possible to establish the details of what precisely occurred. His enemies related that he repented and accepted the last rites from a Catholic priest, while his adherents told of his defiance to his very last breath. Apparently, he did prepare a simple confession. I die worshipping God, loving my friends, not hating my enemies, and detesting superstition. When a priest came round to give him communion, he managed to avoid it by saying, quote, I would remind you that I am constantly spitting blood. We really must avoid getting the Almighty's blood mixed up with mine. The church were not satisfied with his confession and his refusal to take communion. And when, at the very end, a priest did come to take his final, final confession, apparently he rolled over saying, let me die in peace, which he shortly did. But whatever scenes actually took place at his deathbed, the drama had only just begun. The church were, not surprisingly, unsatisfied with Voltaire's confession, and it seemed that a dumping in some sort of waste ground was on the cards. But his friends and the chief of police did not want to see this happen. What would Paris and Parisians say when they found out that their beloved Voltaire had been treated so badly? And so a plan was hatched to avoid this ignoble fate. And so began the posthumous adventures of Voltaire. I'm going to leave you here on the Quai de la Seine and we shall find out next time what happened to the philosopher. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then feel free to leave me a comment and subscribe or tell a friend. And if you really, really liked it, you might consider becoming a patron and helping support the show. Thank you, as ever, to Christopher for all your support. And of course, Sarah Donnelly, my friend, for becoming the latest patron. That's all for now. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>